Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Well, if you brought a Bible this morning, open it up to Mark chapter 16, and then we're going to go back to Mark chapter 4, a little bit towards the end. I'm jumping right into the message because we have a really uh, big message for you, and this will be a little different, but let me give a little uh, background, and then I'll tell you where we're going to head this morning and how we're going to do it. Uh, We're in workbook number three. I think Pastor Brandon mentioned that. This is our final couple of teachings in this series. Uh, In workbook number one, all of, all of it, it's in, involving living an empowered life. We're not trying to be weird. We're not trying to be sensational about it. We, we want to know, what does the Bible actually tell us? What does it promise us about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? How can we actually be experiencing this? Not just hearing about it, not just wondering about it, not just feeling a little bit cautioned by it, but how can we actually be experiencing this in our life? So that the Bible suddenly comes to life and we're like, wow, that's exactly what God promised. And then look, it's happening in my life, not just so that our life can be everything God promised. In fact, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring us into what Jesus called life to the full, life, put, life to the fullest potential. But we also want other people to see that. We, we, want, we want to be witnesses for the Lord. Sometimes we do witnessing, but all the times we are witnesses that convince people that this whole Jesus alive thing, this whole God serving God, it's real and it works. Not just to help us to be more moral people and you know, to be maybe a little more peaceful, and, but, but demonstrating that we live just above. We, we're, sometimes we're in it, but God always brings us out of it or he brings us through it. And we want to demonstrate that. So we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't know the person of the Holy Spirit, if you just jump straight to the power, then you don't understand what comes out of his heart and what his character is and how he'll demonstrate this power. And so we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. Then in workbook number two, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we went back and recalibrated. What does spiritual power mean? Because it's got so much caricature and so much personal preference and demonstration, and I'm not throwing rocks at any of that, it's wonderful that we get to be individualized in how the Holy Spirit works through us. And we don't want to take that away. But at the same time, we want to come back to what the Bible says so that everybody can understand and the Holy Spirit can move everybody into this. And we culminated by talking about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, why it's essential according to the New Testament, and then specifically, what is this whole thing about speaking in tongues? And then we went to workbook number three, and workbook number three is the demonstration of Holy Spirit power. And uh, and specifically, because there's so much of it, we want to specifically hone in on what the the New Testament calls signs and wonders. Sometimes that's translated miracles. Now, for those of you that are uh, wanting to and excited about, we're not going to get into the gifts of the Spirit right now. Those are in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We will, promise you, we're developing something so we can walk through that. But we're not going to get into them this time. I want, to, I want to keep us in something that's much more fundamental because I'm convinced that most Christians are not even in the fundamentals. And there's a reason why they're not. I'm not throwing, don't, don't shade at anybody who's not. 
There's a reason why there's not. And I want to punch a hole in that reason so that we can begin to come out of that and be more confident to be who God's called us to be. Well, our theme was Mark chapter 16. And particularly in verse 17, it says, and these signs will follow those that believe. And we highlighted there's five authenticating signs that every single believer, every single believer, not just the pastors, not just the ones that are, you know, a little more into that stuff. uh, Every single believer, the Bible says, should be authenticating the reality of a living God by these five signs, these five demonstrations happening in their life on a pretty regular basis. And, but, but I want you to notice it says these signs will follow those who believe. So they don't automatically follow every Christian. There's a lot of Christians that kind of like, yeah, I'm okay with that. I don't want those to follow me. But I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, every single one of the Christians, the only reason they don't want that, you don't understand it. You've got some picture, some demonstration, some experience that's tainted your lens, but I can tell you for sure, when you come back and you begin to understand what these really mean, then you're going to be front of the line. Oh yeah, me too, me too, me too, because they're so relevant and they're so necessary. And so we set ourselves two goals. We said, we're going to study them from scripture again so that we understand what does the Bible mean when it talks about signs and wonders, and we don't get some distorted picture or some uh, narrow picture of what that means, but we know what the Bible says it means. And as we do that, you're going to begin to understand why it's so relevant and why the Bible wants every Christian to be demonstrating this. And here's the second goal. It's a lofty one, I know, and it one, it's one that might feel like it invades your personal space, and I, and I don't want to do that. In fact, uh, let me redeem myself, but let me just say it so that you know where my heart is. I want everyone at Lakeshore to reconsider and to engage the signs and wonders of the New Testament. Now, as soon as I say that, I've been keeping this promise with me the whole time. Don't worry, I'm gonna maintain my promise all the way through the end of this series, including on the prayer night. I'm not gonna put anyone in an awkward position. I'm not gonna put you in a place where you feel pressured to believe something and do something you're not ready to believe and to do. Instead, we're, we're going to walk through the scriptures and we're going to let the Holy Spirit lead us and, uh, and we're going to understand some things. But here's what I can promise you. If you'll open up your heart, when you, listen, when you begin to recognize who the Holy Spirit is and how he works and you begin to see what the scriptures say, I'm telling you, all those excuses and defenses and, and fears and insecurities just melt and you begin to say, okay, now I'm totally into that. I wasn't into whatever that was. But I'm completely into that. In fact, I'm desperate for it. And you're going to find that you're going to, you're, going to, uh, you're going to open up to it. But that's not my job to get you there. My job is to teach the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit get you there. So there's no pressure. You're all on a journey. Stay on your journey. But listen to the Holy Spirit and let Him help you. Okay, so towards that end, today we're, we're going to, we want to go back and review. Because I felt like the questions we're getting and we're in some pretty meaty topics. And for some of you, this is brand new. And we're moving pretty quick in some weighty things. And you got questions and you got, you know, maybe some concerns and some clarifications. And so I didn't want to get into this last one and just keep marching along. So we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take some time and we're first going to review some of the foundations again quickly. What is the Great Commission all about? And what are signs and wonders? What have we already learned back in lesson number nine? And then we're going we're gonna to take a second look at this first sign. Pastor Brandon covered it last week. We're going to take a second look. And we're going to look at it in terms of this authority that you have 
as a believer. <clears throat> Maybe you're a brand new believer, but you still carry authority. And your words and your attitude, your perspective, the way you live life means something on a spiritual level. And so we're going to talk quickly about that. And then we're going to finally get to what's really in today's lesson. And we're going to talk about the power of praying in tongues. And, but we're not going to go back through what we've already studied about what it is and how do we get it. And I'll just reference back, hey, go back there and review so you can take this with you. But we're going to actually talk about how this becomes something that, that authenticates your life. Something that invites the supernatural power of God into your life for real. In any situation you're facing through. Listen, if you're a born-again Christian, particularly if you're one that's been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you have a prayer language, you should never, ever, ever, ever be at a point where you're at a loss. I'm not saying that you don't have moments or even stretches where you're, you're, I mean, you're scrambling and you don't know and this thing came so hard and so fast or it's so complex, you don't know what to do. I'm saying you never, you're never trapped there. Never. That, that's what this whole Holy Spirit and, and the power that we have is for. And you have the ability to pray in tongues. And I'm telling you to bypass all the confusion and all the complexities, both known and unknown. And you're not limited to your education, to your experience, to your spirituality. You open up and the power of God begins to move in his mercy and in his grace in a profound and a measurable way. I mean, real time. And you can literally begin to watch victories happen in your life. And someone's like, how'd that happen? I, I don't know. I, I, I prayed in tongues. I, I can't tell you. But I'm telling you, this is what the Lord does. But many, many Christians are just not taking advantage of it. And so they're bumping along, you know, trusting one day they'll get to heaven and trusting that God loves them. And at some point out of his mercy, you know, he'll kind of curb it a little bit. But they're walking way below what they should be walking. They're not authenticating that they serve a supernatural God who's alive and who's partnering in their life. And that's what we want to begin to see in the scriptures, right? So uh, because it won't be a normal flow, normally, you know, you can turn to the lesson in your book and just I'll help you follow along. This will be a little bit abnormal. So you're going to have to take some notes or you're going to have to just commit, listen to the podcast later on because I promise you won't get all this. Uh, but we're really going to take off. All right. So here we start. Quick review. We started in Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, uh, Jesus is talking about the Great Commission, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that, last week, Pastor Brandon so eloquently pointed out to us that for, even though we call it the Great Commission, for most Christians, it's the Great Omission. Because we're not doing any of this. We're not. We know we should. And we're kind of a little uncomfortable when we start talking about, yeah, you know, I know I should be doing more of that. But most Christians are not. And yet the Bible's really clear. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but I don't want you to go anywhere until first, Acts chapter one, verse eight, you stop and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you look at that on a geographic map, they were already in Jerusalem. So I want you to start right where you're at. And then every time the ripple goes out and you get a little farther away from your home base, then I want you to just keep on going and, and keep on preaching the gospel. So here, here's what really that translates, is that God wants you to be authenticating a real Christian life. His power, his willingness to intervene, to keep his promises on your behalf. He wants to do it first in your world. 
I, I would consider that your family, right there in your own marriages, with your own children, maybe with your close friends. Listen, I'm going to include your church family. All of those are included in your world. This is your routine. These are the people you know well. But let me just tell you, there are so many Christians who are not doing that. Spouses who can't talk about spiritual things. It's just weird. Well, that's kind of personal. No, no, it's not. Well, yes, it is personal, but it's not private. It's supposed to be pulled together. The power of agreement and discussion and discerning. What's the Holy Spirit saying? Your parents, you're supposed to be teaching your kids. Well, we just kind of want to let them figure it out for their own. Well, the Bible specifically says don't do that because you're going to leave them vulnerable to all kind of other voices. But see, all of these things are just, are just becoming distorted and Christians are just calling it quits. Ah, it's just too weird. It's just too hard. We're just going to kind of love each other. And listen to me, we're supposed to become living examples and witnesses starting in our own homes. And then we move out, not from, from just your world, but to their world, talking about other people. These are people that are in your pathway all the time. And I'm not saying you have to bring a, you know, a, a megaphone with you to work, or I'm not saying you have to be like abruptly confrontational about stuff, but you have opportunities all the time to just insert a little seasoning. Remember salt? You don't, you don't unscrew the salt shaker and dump the whole thing, but you have opportunities all the time in people that are in the past just to go, and that's it. And you walk away and they're like, you know, actually now that I think about that, and the Holy Spirit goes to work. But there's so many Christians that are not doing it. Cancel culture has accelerated that. But that's not really the reason. We weren't doing it before. But we have to learn how to begin to do this. And then it says not just your world, not just their world, but the world. Wherever you go. Doesn't matter where your travels take you. Doesn't matter business or pleasure. You have the opportunity to be a witness. Be an authenticating, living illustration that God is who he says he is. Sometimes you do witnessing with it. You use words. But lots of times your life is just exampling this. And this is so very important that we understand. In fact, he said, preach the gospel. It really means to proclaim or to declare God. Sometimes you're using words, but sometimes you're just living the example out. And your life is a living testimony that you serve a God and God does what he said. And as you do that, Right in that same breath, in that same verse, it promised you, guaranteed you eternal results. Because sometimes like, yeah, you know, but if I do, who's it really helping? And listen, there's eternity is, is in the balance and you're involved in eternal results. The very next verse said, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And it goes on and says, and these signs will follow those who believe. You have the, the ability, maybe you're just one who ch ch just put a little seasoning. Then someone comes along and adds a little something else. And someone comes along and adds something else. And at some point, some individual comes along and this person is ready, just tell me how to be a Christian. But not all of us get that opportunity all the time. But what if all the Christians just stop adding their little bit in there? How hard is it for God to get someone's heart right and condition so to bring somebody else at just the right time and just the right word and bring all the seasoning at once? That's really, really difficult. That's not how it's supposed to be. We're all supposed to be involved in this. And again, it starts with your own spouse. What if instead of waiting till something builds up and gets an argument, what if you just learn how to... And it just kind of moves the dial. 
What if you learn how to just move with each other? What if you learn how to do that with your kids in conversations instead of con- confrontation all the time and, and the arguments, well, just, you don't understand. And what if you just learn how to and let the Holy Spirit? See, this is the authentication that's promised us. If we'll believe that and we'll learn to engage this, and this is what I'm trying to get us to understand. Well, in lesson nine, then we, we dialed in on when he says signs, these signs will follow. What does that mean? And we talked about there's really three fundamental words. Now there's more, but there's three fundamental words that come up over and over and over in the New Testament. It's signs and wonders, and you'll also see miracles. Sometimes that word miracles is the same Greek word wonders, but other times there's another word, but they mean the same. And here's what we begin looking at that both signs and wonders and or miracles, they're all supernatural. They're things that we can't pull off in the natural, no matter how good we are, they're supernatural, but it's God doing something in the hearts and in the lives of of us or of individuals that we can't possibly do for ourselves. And they're for the purpose of authenticating God's promise, God's faithfulness, God's word, that he's telling the truth, but they do it in different ways. And here's what you need to understand. This particular passage that we looked said that signs will follow those who believe. Well, signs are authentication, supernatural authentications. Listen to this. Sometimes you'll see the results pretty quickly. But most of the time, the results happen progressively over a period of time. And that's different than, than a wonder or a miracle because their first initial job, a wonder or a miracle, is to to captivate people's attention. People that aren't really sure that God's real, people that aren't really sure that God's super faithful, people that aren't really sure that miracles still exist, and all of a sudden, wow, right in front of their eyes, they're like, what was that? And when it does that, it it just demolishes, at least temporarily, all the excuses, all the unbelief, all the rejection of God, and opens them up by virtue of shock value And as they're opened up, then God has a chance to get in and authenticate his faithfulness and his word through a wonder, through a shock value. But again, some of you don't like me saying this, but but you're welcome to go through the New Testament. I'd love to have that discussion. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where God promises a Christian or an unbeliever, but promises you that you can pray and you can see wonders and miracles at your request. Not there. What he does promise is signs will follow you every single time. Now, I don't want to confuse anybody. God loves to wow his kids. What dad doesn't? And he loves to do things that will just make your eyes bug out like, no way, no way. And we call those things suddenlies, right? Suddenly something happened. All of a sudden, I just got the phone call. God loves that kind of stuff. But let me tell you what God as a heavenly father is more concerned about. He, more, more, more than he's concerned about wowing you and making your eyes bug out, God's concerned about developing you. He wants your faith to grow. He wants your character to be strong. He wants your, your tenacity and your willingness to just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Even though I don't see it, I'll still trust you. Even though I don't feel it, I'll still trust you. He wants that to become galvanized in your life. So it's not just about what you feel and what you experience. It's not that roller coaster whim, but it's a solid line of relationship and trust and say, I, I don't know what God's doing, but I know he's doing it because he promised me he would and he's not a man that he should lie. 
See, so here's the difference now. This is, this is really important. In fact, let me just give you three reasons why God doesn't promise miracles and wonders. I want to be really clear. I'm not saying he doesn't do them. I'm not saying he doesn't do them often. In fact, we, we'll, we'll look at a correlation in just a moment here. The more often you're believing God, the more often you're engaging this, the more often you'll see some of those things. But he doesn't promise you that. And here's three reasons why we have to understand that so that we can be engaging. Reason number one, because it calibrates our expectation. Right? Here, here's what, you, you know this to be true. There are many Christians, I want to say most, that they won't pray for God to move anymore. Uh, let's just take healing, okay? They, so they, they prayed for someone to be healed, whether it was their spouse or someone that they loved or one of their children. They prayed for someone to be healed and they opened their eyes. It still looks the same. And they walked away saying, see, it didn't work because I prayed. And if God was going to do it, God would have done it because all they understand is when God does supernatural stuff, it all has to be instantaneously, immediately, or within a relatively short period of time. Some of them will walk away and say, that's okay. We're going to keep believing God for like, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours, couple of days. But if they don't see this immediate change, then they begin to, to wonder and they begin to assume, well, it didn't work. May, you know, I'm not a pastor, maybe someone more spiritual than me, and they don't understand. God's word guarantees and promises that when we will do what the Bible asks us to do, that supernatural always comes. But we don't connect these dots. We've just taken signs and wonders, signs being happening over a period of time, wonders happening immediately. We just put them all in the same bag and shake them up and say, well, when you pray, that's what happens. And if that's what you're expecting, if you're expecting every time you pray to open your eyes and wham, it's right there, then listen to me, you, you're going to have a lot of disappointment, which will lead to uh, question marks, insecurity, which eventually leads to unbelief. You know that God can, you just don't know why he doesn't do it for you. But when you begin to understand God didn't promise you an instant miracle the minute you open your eyes, what God did was he promised you that the authenticating supernatural power of God would come every time that you prayed in faith to those who believe. And if you begin to recognize that, you say, well, I, I don't see it happening, but I know it is happening because God promised me. You say, I don't, I just don't know if I can do that. Sure you can. You're doing it every day. You're doing it all the time. Listen, take, take physical, natural healing. You know this stuff works, right? Because you're not feeling too good, so you go to the doctor and he says, yeah, here's what it is. Let me write you a prescription. Take two of these every day for the next two weeks. And you get home and you pop that, that bottle open and you take a pill and, and, and you screw it back on. You don't feel any different. It's not like, wow, I feel so much better. But someone calls, hey, how are you doing? You know what? I went to the doctor. He said it's this. And, and so I'm taking my medication. I'll be okay. That's faith. Because you don't feel any different. But you know the moment you swallow that little pill that the medication begins to break down and it's doing what it's supposed to do. And you believe that over a period of time, that you're going to feel better and better. In fact, some of you are so convinced of this, you're, you're taking all kinds of supplements and vitamins, and, and I applaud you for that. That's wonderful, but that's faith. Because none of them are instantaneously. None of them are right now, man. I, I'm a different person, you know. I, I wish those, those ads were true, right? Uh, you know, six-pack abs in, in, in five days. I wish that were true. But we know it's not. 
So we'll engage the process, right? Did you know the Bible tells you that the word of God works just like a medicine? Proverbs chapter 4 says when you take the word of God and put it in your heart, you're supposed to protect and guard that because it'll bring health to all of your flesh. And that's exactly what God's promising. Listen, we at least ought to have the same, the same faith and the same conviction in the words of a living God who, by the way, never lies, can't tell a lie, won't tell a lie, and has covenanted his word in blood. We ought to at least have the same faith in him that we do in a little round pill. We ought to be able to put that thing into practice and realize the moment we pray in faith, believing God, we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know when it's going to work. We don't understand all the process it's going to take. All we know is that he promised us that if we would believe and we would put this in action, the supernatural power of God would come and it would go to work. We ought to be able to pray in faith and say, whew, thank God for the supernatural medicine of God's word. Thank God that we serve a living Christ. Thank God that he said that by his stripes that we were healed and we are healed. See, we, we can apply that to any of the promises in the Bible, but Christians, again, because they're, they're, they're not understanding and they think everything's got to be an instantaneous miracle, they will practice all of this great faith in their practical life, but they won't practice any in their spiritual life. Once you begin to understand this, the lights start coming on. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm paying a lot of money for medication. I'm throwing a lot of effort into supplements. And that, it's not a bad thing. Keep that going if that, that's your thing, okay? But I'm not putting any stock into the supernatural guarantee that God's given us that Jesus paid for in full, that I'm fully covered in a health benefit contract because I'm a born-again believer. See, we don't understand that. And so we bail out, and many Christians, many Christians just, just won't do that. Here's the second reason why God doesn't always promise and doesn't always give miracles, because uh, we, we need to have our faith developed. It's really important to develop our faith. Listen, this is what a lot of Christians don't understand. When, when God does a miracle, that's a gift from the Lord. Even in Scripture, we find that doesn't always require faith. It's something where that's beyond you. It's, a liter it's just a gift that God gives and says, listen, you don't even have to be involved. I'm going to do this for you out of my mercy. But here's the other thing we don't understand. If something didn't require any faith and any understanding and any resolve to grab hold of the promise of God and, and, and to begin to walk in that, then listen, then it doesn't require any faith to keep it either. And you see a lot of people that say, I don't know about all that healing stuff because I've seen people and they get healed, but you know, a few months later, they're right back into it again. Yeah, the Bible tells why. I mean, there's a, I'm, I'm, I'm super simplifying, right? There's a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons why is because the Bible says if we don't have any faith to keep walking in that, it was an experience and we didn't get a chance to grow and develop our faith. But how many of you know God's got a big life plan for you? God's got things that you're going to encounter, and so he begins to develop your faith, and he knows when you need something. We say, I need a miracle now. Well, we want a miracle now, that's for sure. But I can promise you this wonderful Heavenly Father, if you need a miracle, you'll have it. But if you want a miracle, he may lean in close and say, hey, uh, let, let's go ahead and put that sign in action let me, let me over a period of time because I need to develop some understanding. I need to develop some faith. I need to develop some character so that when this thing happens, and it will happen, that now you can keep that. 
and you can walk in that and you can build on that and you understand some other things about the next thing that you'll face. See, this is, this is just like parenting 101. We're all doing this and it makes sense in a practical way. We just don't understand that this is what scriptures teach us over and over and over again. We put it all in this one giant bag. Well, you never know what God's gonna do. And if he does it, he's gonna do it in a miracle. And if it doesn't happen like that, we're like, see, but one day heaven's gonna be great, but see, we're just gonna you know, keep loving the Lord and hope somehow we'll get by. That's not what Jesus asked us to do. Here's the third reason why. And this is what we talked about in the first lesson. The third reason, when you have a right understanding about how signs and, and, and wonders work and what the expectations are and what the guarantees are for those of us that will begin to engage this thing, then listen to me, it will protect you It'll protect you from deception. Right now in our world, we talked about this in the first lesson, right now in our world, it's accelerating, but the Bible promises us it's going to get more and more intense. Right now in our world, there are things that are happening miraculously, things that are happening, I'll say supernaturally, but they're not all God. And I'm telling you, people are being led astray, Christians are being deceived and led astray by these supernatural arenas uh, be it, you know, psychics or tarot card reading or horoscopes or, and, and they're being led astray by these things, sometimes demonstratively. And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand it changed my life. No, I'm sure that it did. But it changed your life for the purpose of taking you off course because let me tell you, God would have changed your life. He promised he would. But you didn't give him the opportunity. You gave that opportunity to somebody else who's not working in the kingdom of God and it'll deceive you. But when you begin to understand how signs and wonders work and you begin to understand how they have to be grounded in God's word, how they have to be confirmed by the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, how bringing other people on to judge, what, does, that, does that sound right to you? What do you think? And having other Christians to measure, when you begin to understand that, it will protect you. You won't be deceived. You'll be able to say that, I mean, that's really sparkly and that would be awesome. Something's off. And the Bible says that's really, really important because many, many people will, will be deceived. Okay, you with me so far? Okay, so Mark chapter 16, again, verse 17 says, and these signs will follow those who believe. Again, will follow. That's an indicative statement. That means that's a statement of fact. That it's just a cause and effect. He's not saying, well, you know, the Lord, the Lord will lean in a little more. No, no, no. If you will believe God and do what he said, this, these will come. They will happen. It's a statement of fact. He said those who believe, and again, the signs are not instantaneously unless God wants them to be. Sometimes he shocks us and it's wonderful, right? But the promise that we have is that there are signs, and look at the first sign. It says, in my name, they will cast out demons. Now, Again, as soon as we say that, those same majority of Christians who just put signs and wonders and miracles all in the same bag and we don't really understand that and we're not really sure we know how to do that so it's better just to kind of stay away and not get our hopes up. Those same Christians usually don't understand this one either and it's because you can't understand the great commission. You can't, let me say it differently, you can't understand the great commission unless you first understand Jesus' original mission. So the commissions when he invited us into it with him. But the original mission is in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus said to 12 men standing on a hilltop, I will build my church and the gates of hell or the gates of Haiti shall not prevail against it. And the word gate here is the Greek word boule. And it literally is describing a gate or a gateway or something that controls access into and out of any area or any arena. 
So from the Amplified Classic Version, listen to that same verse. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti, the powers of the infernal region, shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. And that's why Jesus kept on going. The very next verse, verse 19, it says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now this is the Amplified Classic. I paraphrased a little bit to pull out some understanding without actually, actually having to go into the Greek words. But he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom so that whatever is forbidden in heaven, you can, as an authorized representative of me, forbid it on earth as well, knowing that heaven will back you up. And whatever is approved and permitted in heaven, you can, as an authorized representative of me, approve and permit it to come to pass on earth with full confidence that heaven will back you up. This is a quote from lesson number 10 that I didn't know if you caught it or not, but let me read it because it's worth highlighting. Listen to what's in the lesson. It says, most Christians today see themselves as mere subjects, we could say citizens of heaven, instead of authorized representatives of Jesus. Now we've talked before, right? You're an ambassador of Christ. You're not just someone who lives in the neighborhood of heaven, but you're an ambassador of Christ, a representative. Man, you're the salt, you're the light, you're the followers of Christ who go out and demonstrate, who authenticate that Jesus is real. This kingdom world is alive and it's penetrating and it's impacting right here on earth. This is our job. This is what we're called to do. But most Christians think, well, I'm just a citizen of heaven. I, I, my name's just on the eternal, you know, the eternal roll and grateful for that. But it goes on and says, accordingly, their prayers lack, lack the bold confidence of one who's been given, listen to this, a kingdom key ring. When you have the keys to something, if you have the keys to a building or the keys to a lockbox or, or you know, the, the keys to an office, you've got a, a level of authority at least to step into that or at least to step back out of that and lock the door behind you. You've been given some level of authority and, and we just read, God says, I'm going to give you the keys, the kingdom key ring. You're holding that key ring so you have entrance into things and you have the ability to evict and pull things out of that because you're the gatekeeper. You have, as representatives of heaven, but most Christians don't understand that. And so instead, their prayers lack bold confidence of one who's been given the kingdom key ring loaded with the promises of God that grant them spiritual access into and out of circumstances and situation where, listen, evil influences need to be evicted. And God's promised blessings need to be invoked. And some of you are like, ah, I don't know. If I just don't get into all that, let me just see your hand. That's not a trick question. It's not an embarrassing question, I promise. How many of you have ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Put your hand up. Yeah, that's almost everybody. I'm going to guess it is everybody, but some of you don't really believe me that it's not a trick question. And so you're like, I'm just going to play it safe. I get it. Okay, that's the topic we're talking about. But if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Stop. What you just prayed there, and you probably just prayed it rote, not really thinking about it. But remember, this is Jesus giving a template to his followers about how to pray. When you look at that statement, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, we don't have time. But if you go back, it's in the imperative tense, which means it should have been translated. And it is translated in some of the, uh, some of the lessons that are the, the versions that will flesh it out. What you're actually saying is, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
I'm part of your family. I'm connected. And then you're saying, come thy kingdom and be done thy will in every situation here on earth. That's an authoritative statement. It's you're taking out a key and you're saying, I get it. I'm with you. I'm part of your representative. I'm going to lock things up that the enemy should not be stepping into. And if he's already in there, I'm going to unlock it, kick him out and lock it back again. And this is why Jesus said, I'm going to build the church and the gateways of hell will not be able to keep it out. Why? Because we have the keys to the kingdom. We open the gate, we push it open, and we march into the territory that the enemy is harassing your family, that he's keeping you in insecurity, that he's tangling up your life. We march in and say, okay, out, 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 come on, out, you don't belong here, out, out, Jesus set me free from this, out, out. And we don't understand that, so we never pray prayers like that. Our prayers are like, God, help me, Lord, just help me, Lord, help me, and don't get me wrong. I'm not making fun because the Lord's heart's tender. And he hates to hear his kids suffering and hear his kids cry. But we've been given this incredible power, this incredible authority, and we're not using any of it. Let me kind of read on a little farther down on that same page, page 24. It says, although some confrontations, and we're talking about confronting, you know, demonic presence when he said, in my name, you'll cast out demons. Some can be demonstrably difficult. And this happens from time to time. But listen carefully, most demonic invictions and the invoked or the initiated blessings happen just the way they describe Jesus doing in Matthew 8, 16 with a word, with a prayer, with you taking a firm stance, with you standing confidently in a word and saying, nope, the Bible says, nope, you can't stay here, nope. You. In fact, let, let me just give you an example, right? In Mark chapter five, verse eight, this is right off of coming off of uh, Mark chapter four where he's taught about uh, the sower sows the word and how all these things in the kingdom happen progressively as we're getting the word of God in our heart and it's taking root and it's bringing the fruit that it promised, bringing the result that it promised, authenticating signs that our life is supernaturally uh, supplied by the things of the Lord. In Mark chapter five, he goes across the sea and he's on the shores of a place called Gadara and two demon-possessed men come running, thrashing out of the hills and just fall at his feet. And these are men that were known throughout the countryside because no one could control them. They tried everything they could. And so instead of that, they moved them out to the cemetery and now they just kind of quarantined the whole area off and the whole entire region is traveling way around just to avoid the violence of these two men. But they come running to Jesus and I'm, I'm just gonna get to the heart of the story. In Mark chapter five, verse eight, they begin to scream, ah, oh, why are you here to torment us? Why are you here to torment us? Because as they ran and they got close to him, verse, verse eight says, for he said, that's Jesus. He said to him, it, in, some, in some other gospels, it identifies two of them, come out of the man unclean spirit. And so, Again, he, he's not doing anything demonstrative. He's just taking authority. He took out his kingdom key ring and said, nope, nope, no, no, no. You don't get to stay in there. No, I said no. But if you look at the, at the phrase, he said, it's in what's called the imperfect indicative tense in the Greek. I'm not trying to get too deep into that. Only enough to say, when you transliterate that and you stretch it out, here's what it says. For he repeatedly said to him, as a statement of fact, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now, I'm not saying it's so simple that you can just, you know, say a prayer, devil, get out in Jesus' name, and it's done. Sometimes. But sometimes you have to keep saying it. Not like in the moment, maybe, but you're just gonna keep saying it if you have to say it for a week. 
every day, three times a week. Nope, nope, you're not going to stay in my marriage. Nope, all this tension, all this strife. No, you don't get to stay here because we're called to peace. Jesus is our peace. We have a peaceful marriage. Holy Spirit, I don't know how to fix this, but you do come in and bring peace that passes all understanding. Just melt our hearts, bring us back to the beginning again. See, you are declaring the righteousness of God. You are saying, come to this situation, thy kingdom, and be done God's will in this situation. You're using your kingdom key ring. This is what it says, and you get to cast out the devil. I can't tell you how many fights that husbands and wives are going to avoid. When you just hit the pause button for a minute and say, hey, listen, I don't, I don't know if this is helping us. Uh, let's just kind of take a break. And you walk away and say, in the name of Jesus, you don't get to keep strife stirred up here. I can't tell you how much it's going to save your children instead of trying to argue and debate with them and control their behavior. If you take some time often and you say, in the name of Jesus, no weapon formed against my family is ever going to prosper. And every tongue that's rising against, every tongue that's trying to get in their head and get in their ears, all that philosophy, all those things are going to fall to the ground. They won't hold any weight because the word of God is going to take precedent. Because the Bible goes on in that same passage and promises me that my children will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of my children. See, if you begin to understand that, you're taking authority over the situation. Your kids may never even know that you're praying, but you're in control. This is what it means when it says to cast out the devil, to begin fundamentally stepping in. You may have other times, and we'll talk about those other times, but I'm telling you, most of the time, it's right here because Christians aren't doing this. They're like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah you do. You do now. The question is whether you'll believe it and you'll do it. But if you'll begin to do this, God promised he'll do exactly what he said. Well, let me fast forward us to, uh, there's some applications there, by the way, in your study that kind of walks you through super simple, but super practical. You know, why don't you do this instead of what you've been doing? Try this. And it gives you a very practical stair step. Let me get to, uh, to uh, lesson 11 where we should be today and we'll finish it off. Uh, are you with me still, by the way? I'm, I'm, I, re I really want to help us. I don't I just want to inspire us a little bit. I want to give you some tools because I'm telling you this will radically and forever change your life, change your family, change your marriage. It'll save your children. It'll save your generation. Brandon talked last week about how, you know, he, he, was, he, he, he understood some of these things. And there are times he walked around his house. And, and, and what, I know Brandon knows this because I've told him, but he didn't know it until I told him. I can't tell you how many nights in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, that here I am kneeling in a tiny little house. I'm kneeling by the bedroom door, a closed bedroom door for sometimes each of our children, sometimes one more focused than the other, tears streaming down my face in a whisper, but with authority. And I'm declaring my children will be taught of the Lord. I can see something happen in life. I have no idea how to confront it. So I'm not confronting it with them. I'm confronting it in the spirit. And I'm, I'm, if you're not doing this as parents, it's like, get busy. Grandparents, you're not off the hook. Well, I raised all my kids. No, no, you got grandkids. And you're still involved in those generations, right? The Bible says as, as grandparents that we're supposed to leave an inheritance to our children's children. Well, part of that inheritance is the spiritual inheritance that you give them, the spiritual freedom to pave the way, to partner with mom and dad and to move that thing forward so they can walk in peace and in righteousness. This is what the Bible's promising, and I can't emphasize enough, God is guaranteeing the results. He said, um, it's a statement of fact. These signs will follow you if you believe it and you begin to step into it. It'll work. 
The, uh, the verification I can give is on the reverse side. Most Christians are not even trying because they don't know. And I, I want to bring you in. Okay, lesson number 11. I'm going to fast track this one so we can bring it to a close. Lesson number 11, the first sign was they will cast out demons. In my name, they will cast out demons. The second one is they will speak with new tongues. Now, we're not going to go back. We did a whole lesson, a couple of them, on what speaking in tongues means and how all that works. And so uh, on page 29... At the beginning of this, it'll reference you back to lesson number eight. It'll give you some more uh, assurance about why this is a statement of fact, why you can depend on this. And then on page 30, it's going to help us to recognize that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 says that when we're speaking in tongues, there are different kind of tongues or different varieties of tongues. Later on in verse 28, it says, and if you take that word different and varieties, they're both the same Greek word, genesis, and they mean that there are various classifications and various categories. The only reason I mention that's all in your workbook is because on page 32, we're talking about that tongues have various uses. And these various uses correlate with the various types of prayer. And let me just kind of help you to understand so you don't get like theologically confused, okay? It's not any different than your conversation. You can be in a conversation in your house and everything's laughing and having a good time and then something happens and you got to go into parent mode for a minute. Well, 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 hold on. I know we're having fun, guys, but listen, settle down. Settle down. You're throwing drinks all over the couch. This is not going to work. Okay, settle down. No, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Settle it down right now. If we don't, we have to stop this whole game. Okay, mom, I'm sorry. You know, and here we go. And so you, you'll change your tones and you'll change your nuances. Well, prayer's like that. Prayer's not always just, uh, hey, God, it's me, and thanks for coming and being with me and love me today. And it's not just greetings and, you know, shallow. Prayer gets into different parts of conversation. And the Bible gives us at least four kinds of prayer, four kinds of prayer that we can engage. First of all, it's praise. Second of all, it's intercession when we're praying for somebody else or about a different situation. And then it's a rebuke. This is the one that most Christians don't understand, that we have the authority in prayer to open something, to unlock something, or to lock it up and say, nope, not anymore. Not going to do that ever again. We have the authority to do this. Um, and so we, we have to understand that, that we, we have all of these opportunities, right? But we don't tie that to tongues. And so when we come back in verse number 32, it talks about how they're all tied to tongues. But let me bring it to the scripture. If you're following on, on uh, page 32, rather, the scripture, Ephesians 6.18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. This is what Paul is saying. And by the way, in Ephesians 6, he's praying that at the end of listing all the spiritual weapons of our warfare. And so what he's doing here is he's helping us to understand that when it comes to spiritual warfare, especially, we want to use every type of prayer that's available to us. Every type of prayer. So we can walk through the four main types of prayer. There's more than four, but the four main types of prayer in the New Testament, and we can pull and say, and there's an application. When even when we're engaging that and we come to the end of our ability to articulate what's in our heart and what's in our mind, we can keep that going and extend it by speaking in tongues. And it's actually in the Bible that these apply to every one of these areas. So if you, want to, if you want to just follow along, we're just going to look at three of them real quick. Number four is already covered. Uh, we've already covered it in lesson number eight. 
uh, and I've covered it more in lesson 10, plus there's an appendix back there. And, uh, and so I'm gonna trust you that you'll go and do some reading. But here, here's the first one, super fundamental, super applicable, and that's praise. We did it this morning. In fact, uh, we emphasized it this morning. That wasn't planned in a service planning meeting, by the way. That was just how the Holy Spirit led this morning. And I was like, thank you, that was awesome. That really helps. Because when it comes to prayer, uh, praise, rather, it's not just expressing our gratitude or expressing the greatness of God, but it's also part of the kingdom key ring you have. That praise is something that you can use intentionally to invoke supernatural power into a situation. In fact, listen to Psalm 149, verse 6. He's, in, the, in the Old Testament, this is David connecting what Paul would write later in Ephesians chapter 6, 18. And here's what he writes. He said, let the high praises of God be in their mouth, listen, and a two-edged sword in their hand. He's connecting praise as not just being a, a celebratory, a fun, you know, kind of a jubilation thing. Well, certainly it's that. But when you come to the kingdom of God, praise can be used as a weapon. Praise can be used intentionally when you don't feel like praising. In fact, the New Testament talks about us bringing a sacrifice of praise. When you're sacrificing, it's not convenient, it's not comfortable, it's not really something that, you, know, that you, you really want to do, but you're doing it anyway because this is so important. And so praise works like that. In fact, uh, first, we won't read it, but 1 Corinthians 14, 15 talks about that we can pray in the Spirit, but we can pray with English, with, with our, our, our known language too. We can pray an intentional prayer according to the promise of God, but then we can begin praying in, in tongues and, and, and they both work simultaneously in that area. It said we can sing in the Spirit and we can sing with our understanding. So praise is not limited to what we can express, but praise extends itself when we begin to pray in tongues. And as we do this, listen to me, praise becomes weaponized. And so here the enemy is trying to convince you that God's not going to be faithful. If he was going to do it, it would have happened by now. You're waiting so long. Why even bother to pray? Just make contingency plans and just kind of move around that. But praise begins to acknowledge, nope, God's always faithful. Can you imagine how frustrated the enemy is when he's got this master plan, he's been strategizing, and all of a sudden he gets all the, the dots to connect and the circumstances fall and you feel the weight and life just seems to scatter all over the place and then he pours it on thick and he's reminding you you're not a perfect Christian and you don't even understand all this stuff anyway. And I know what Pastor Gill's saying, but that's Pastor Gill, that's not you. And, and then he reminds you, know, you didn't read your Bible and you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And he's just disqualifying you all over the place. Can you imagine how frustrated he is when you turn around and you say, and yet God is faithful to his people. Yet God has tender mercies on those that are hurting and those that are struggling. As you begin to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Can you imagine how frustrated he is when the joy of the Lord becomes out, coming out of you and he's done everything he can to pour pressure on you? Listen to me, it's a weapon. It's a weapon. He's not getting to you because you've already put your faith in God. But not only that, while you are challenging and backing him off, but not only that, you're declaring God's faithfulness into your circumstance and your situation. You've released the supernatural power of God. This is a powerful weapon. And the Bible said it happens every time that we praise the Lord. Sometimes in a wonderful way, we're praising him and extending this, which the Bible said thanksgiving opens up to more blessings of the Lord. 
But other times it's right in the middle of a storm and we're thanking and praising God in spite of what's happening. And God's saying, look at that. They're trusting me and in faith. And here he comes because he promised he would do it every time. Here's the second one that's listed. There's intercession. This is when you're praying on behalf of another. And I don't have to go over this a lot because we covered a lot in Romans chapter eight, verse 26 in lesson number eight, where the Holy Spirit promised that he would partner with us, activating his supernatural power for us by using our spiritual language to communicate through us in ways that are so far beyond human expression that God can understand it. We expanded it. You'll find that in lesson number eight. But here's what it means is there's times when you don't know what to pray for, whether you're in a circumstance and the circumstance is so confusing or you cannot, you just can't even imagine that you can ever get out of this or something's going on with, with your marriage, something's going on with your children, something's going on with your job or whatever it is, you can begin to pray in the spirit and the Holy Spirit immediately comes and joins you. And he begins to tap into to that spiritual language because you're trusting him and he begins to pray what he would pray in this situation through your obedience and using your language. And all I can tell you, I'm gonna tell you what I told you in lesson, lesson number eight. I can't explain it much better than that because it's supernatural. But I can tell you by experience over and over and over and over again, it works. In that moment, you go from confusion and fear and despair, and you can begin feeling the, the strength and the faith of God rise until you get to a point where you just know that you know that you know that God's going to do what he said. And you walk out there and say, well, I have no idea what I just said, but I know victory's in this thing. I got the peace of the Lord that passes my understanding. I have a confidence and expectation that God's working even though I can't see it. I don't feel it. God's doing what he promised he would do. And that's when your mind gets freed up enough. And then here comes wisdom and here comes insight and here comes understanding and strategy by the Holy Spirit. You begin to understand some things. But before, you can't understand anything because your mind's so jammed up with the situation. You get to just release all that. It actually works. And there's scriptural precedent how the Bible says it works, and you've got application there. Okay, this is your last one, and I'm hurrying. Uh, again, there's four of them. We're only going to cover number three. Number four is already covered. You, you just have to read through it. But this is the one I really want to get to this morning, and it's rebuke. It won't take me very long, but listen to this. When, when it comes to praying in tongues, there's a number of examples. Uh, I'm sorry, concerning the, the connection between praying in tongues and, and our, our authority, spiritual warfare. There's a connection in gospel where we see Jesus not rebuking a demon, not rebuking one of the religious leaders, but rebuking a situation. And you're like, what is that? And I gave you two examples, although there's a bunch more and you've got some support scriptures. You can go look at other stories. But two of the examples, one's in Luke chapter four, verse 38 and 39, and it's where Jesus rebukes a fever. You're like, okay, so we can rebuke fevers. What about headaches? And what about coughs? And what about COVID? And I mean, just, you know, you start, your mind starts going, right? How does that actually work? Well, Hold on to that one because a better example is in Mark chapter four, verse 37. And listen to this. This is when Jesus rebukes the wind. Now I'm gonna read you a few verses quickly and then show you a couple of things that are gonna open it up, how you can practice this. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a perfect Christian. You don't have to be a pastor. You just have to believe that God's telling the truth. Okay, how many of you know you don't have to be a doctor to take a pill, right? I don't have to understand. I, I don't even know how to pronounce this particular medication. 
I don't have to understand why this dosage and what exactly it's going to do. Some of you that are inquiring minds, you've studied it and you can know, but you don't have to know any of that. All you have to know is the doctor said, this is what's going on. Take this pill two times a day and I would get better in a couple weeks. And so I'm doing it. You don't have to understand all the ins and outs of this stuff. You just have to trust God enough to begin to do it. And it'll work the way God said. Listen to this. Verse, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 37. And a great windstorm, pay attention to that, arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling up. So the wind was blowing like crazy and causing the waves to come and fill the boat, and the boat's filling up, and it's about to sink. Verse 38. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they, that's the disciples, awoke him. You just need to, so you can get the picture, the word awoke there is where we get the word resurrection. It means they didn't say, Jesus, Jesus, hey, we hate to bother you, but can you wake up just for a second? It says they, they ran into the stern of the boat. They grabbed him and said, get up, get up. I mean, they pulled him out of a dead sleep. Get up, we're drowning here. We're about to die. They're freaking out, okay? It says, so they awoke him and then he arose and notice this, he rebuked the wind and then he said to the waves or to the sea, peace be still. And when he did, look what happened. First thing that happened was the wind ceased. And then there was a great calm. In other words, then the water settled down. You got two things going on. You got a windstorm happening and you got the result of the windstorm. The waves are filling the boat. If that would have been you and me, we would have started trying to figure out how do we get these waves to settle down? Jesus went straight to the windstorm and notice this. He said he rebuked it. He rebuked it. it. It's the Greek word that means to verbally assault. It, it means to reprimand. Here's the part. Here's the definition I like. It means to humiliate someone or something regarding an action or a perspective. And by the way, it's an indicative, which means it's a statement of fact. You're not just making fun, hoping that you shame them into doing something. You're stating a fact. Listen to me. I don't know who you think you are but you have no right to do this. And I'm telling you, knock it off right now. And the Bible says that Jesus out of a dead sleep walked up and he walked to the front of the boat and he humiliated the wind. Who do you think you are? You don't have any power here. We're following the heavenly father's will. You're not going to sink us. I don't know who you think. You don't even have a right to do what you're doing. He, he's having a conversation with the wind. And the disciples in the back are looking because, I mean, it's an animated conversation. He's not playing games with them. He's reprimanding and rebuking and humiliating them. I don't know who you think you are. In fact, you'll find this same thing in Zechariah chapter 4 where, where the Holy Spirit speaks up and he's talking to the blockades that are happening in Zechariah, all the miles of rubbing, and he, he steps in on Zechariah's behalf and he said, Who are you, O great mountain, to stand in front of the prophet of God? Who do you think you are? And this is exactly what Jesus was doing. He's talking to the wind. And the Bible says when he finished talking to the wind, then he turned around and, he, and then he talked to the waves and he said to the waves, peace be still. But here's the wonderful thing that, that is not evident when you just read most of the translations. This particular word is talking about the fact that he, he went to them and he quieted the winds. In fact, he said to them, okay, now be muzzled close your mouth. But here's what a lot of scholars, especially the ones that are Hebrew scholars, 
they, they look back and they say, but, but you have to bring the nuances of the language in. And you have to understand the tonal things that were involved because a literal translation would be, Jesus then turned to the waves and he said, Shh. and the moment he said that, the whole sea just quieted down. Let me tell you why that's important. Because lots of times we run to the evidence of the problem. We're trying to figure out how, how do we fix that? How do we fix that? When if we'd listen to the Holy Spirit, he'd say, don't fix that, fix this. And that would settle right down. Don't, don't try to win the argument with your wife. Take control over strife and over unforgiveness and over disappointment and over those things that have happened in your marriage that the enemy's got you to this point. If you can take control over that and bring the peace of God back in, all this stuff just begins to melt away. I don't know why we're fighting. It wasn't that big of a deal. But only the Holy Spirit can do that. But the other thing it also shows is that there are times when we get to take authority in the Word of God by using words that don't have an English or a, an understandable articulate. In other words, when Jesus stepped up and actually what he said was, that means that you and I can step into a situation as we're praying in tongues. There are times when you, when you'll recognize, if, if you're praying in tongues and you're understanding this, I can't tell you when it'll happen. I can just tell you you'll recognize it. Something will begin to change. And here you are, you're just praying in tongues and you're praying in tongues and all of a sudden you'll sense an indignation rise up in you. And you'll hear your tones begin to change. And you're not just conversationally praying in tongues. You start, there's an assertiveness. There's an authority. There's an aggressiveness. When that happens, don't stop. Let the Holy Spirit keep going because the Holy Spirit is confronting something in and through you that is interfering with this. And listen, you just keep on that going. You bark it out. You come with authority and you watch what will happen. You'll get to, 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 to right there and all of a sudden it'll just, it'll just quiet down. Your, your spirit will quiet down. And in essence, your tongues will go into something that's like, and you'll just begin to pray softly in the spirit. And what the Lord's doing is he's quieting down all the waves. He's quieting down all the confusion. This stuff works. It works, it works, it works. And it authenticates that God's in our life. But we have to learn to step into it and engage it, sometimes clumsily at first. I don't really know what I'm doing, Lord. That's okay. Take the first couple steps, do what the Bible says, and watch God begin to help you to grow and mature in this. Have you been blessed by God's word this morning? Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us so much in the word of God, not just to bless our lives, but to help us, Lord. Thank you for wanting us to grow up and be strong representatives, confident representatives of the kingdom of God, that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to walk uh, in, in, uh, in, in insecurity. Lord, even when we're walking through the middle of a storm, we can stand up and we can rebuke and humiliate those, those forces that are trying to, to penetrate and pulverize our lives. And we can say in the name of Jesus, Shh. Lord, we speak the peace of God over, over these people today. Everybody listening on the podcast, everybody watching online, Lord, I speak the supernatural peace of God. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher now. Show them how to actually apply this beyond what's written in the workbook, beyond what we've preached about today. Come in and be their personal coach and their guide. And then do what you promised you would do. Authenticate. Change their lives demonstratively, Lord. Let their praise begin to turn with tears streaming down, saying thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Because you've done once again what only you could do. 
We trust you for this and we believe you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.